All right, thank you so much. Well, good morning, Grace Commons and people in church. This is exciting. Can you believe they told me to keep my sermon tight? How am I going to do that with people in the room? Well, we are so glad that all of you are here, and for all of you joining us on live stream, welcome. My name's Daniel. I'm one of the pastors here, and I have the privilege this morning of continuing and wrapping up uh, the series that we kicked off a few weeks ago called Live Prayer. And in this series, we've been examining uh, three distinct movements of prayer. Uh, the first one that Eric talked about uh, was this upper movement of prayer, and that's where we respond to God in praise and adoration and worship. And then the next week, I talked about the inner movement of prayer, and that's the movement that brings about great transformation uh, in our hearts and really deepens our intimacy with Christ. And this week, uh, to wrap up this kind of three-part series, I'm going to be talking about the outer movement of prayer. And the outer movement of prayer is when we begin to pray for others and pray with others, when we begin to minister to them. And that really comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, but before we dive in, quick story about my first real experience uh, of outer prayer, that kind of movement. When I was 16, I went on my first mission trip. I may have told this story before, so I don't want to go into a whole lot of details, um, but I kind of didn't want to go on this trip. I was set to, uh, to go to San Diego and Tijuana, and uh, I really didn't want to you know, take time out of lifting weights in the summer for football to go, and uh, forgive me if I've told this story again, but one morning I was just praying about it, and I just said to the Lord, Lord, if you want me to go on this trip, just, just tell me. And I opened my Bible to start reading for my morning uh, devotional time. And my Bible opened to Isaiah chapter 6. And when I looked at the page, there was one verse highlighted on that page. And it was uh, Isaiah 6, 8 that says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for me? And I said, Here am I. Send me, Lord. And I closed the Bible and immediately recognized that God had just spoken to me uh, from his word. I knew I was supposed to go on that trip. And so after reading that, I prayed it. I said, okay, Lord, here am I. Send me. And that was a dangerous prayer <laughs> that started a movement in my life that I never would have seen coming. Uh, a few months later, we were in San Diego on this mission trip, and we were serving at a, at a homeless shelter. And uh, we were getting ready to... Um, uh, kind of, uh, yeah, uh, do this kind of ministry program we had put together. And uh, the day before we went on this trip, I, gosh, I wish I could remember I've told you the story or not. I, I'm going to try to keep it, keep it tight in case I have. But I had a vision, 16 years old, had never happened before. I had a vision of this man's face. It just popped into my head super clear. I could see this image. And, and then I kind of brushed it off and did not think much about it. Um, but then that night when I went to bed, I had a dream. And I, I remember dreaming about the man whose face I had seen. And this had never happened to me before. And I could not remember any details from the dream. But I knew that I had dreamed about this individual and then the night before we, the day before we went to this homeless shelter, again, the face popped into my head out of nowhere. And so uh, fast forward to the evening, we're at the shelter getting ready to serve a meal and, and put on a kind of ministry program. And all of a sudden, I see uh, the man sitting uh, right in front of me. And I, I recognized him, and, and I didn't know what to do. 
I was 16 years old, and I felt like the Lord had shown this man to me for some reason, but I couldn't be sure why. And so when I got up as scheduled to give a little testimony, um, I, I was supposed to put the microphone down when I was done. And some of you might have heard sometimes I, I hold on to the microphone too long. Uh, and I just couldn't put it down. And I was just standing there like staring at this man. And then all of a sudden I remember bringing the microphone back to my mouth and I just began to speak. And it wasn't like something supernatural took over my tongue, but I just felt like the Lord was giving me a message for this man. And I, I said things to him about his past that there's no way I could have known in, in human wisdom. The Holy Spirit in that moment was just giving me a, a word for this guy, and he just began to weep. Uh, and he came forward, and he asked me to pray with him. And that day, he rededicated his life uh, to Christ. He had been a follower of Jesus at one point and had wandered away. Um, and it was such a powerful experience for this little country boy from South Carolina um, to see God move in and through me in a way that I had never experienced before. And it was really, there's no other explanation, but God's spirit uh, ministered to this man just through my availability. It, it wasn't me. It wasn't my strength. It wasn't my gifts. It was a moment where God enabled me to minister to someone else through the power of his spirit. And that is what this outer movement of prayer is all about. It's no longer just between us and God. It's now us moving towards other people to pray for them and to minister to them. So this week, that's going to be our focus, the outer movement of prayer. So again, when we experience this upper movement of prayer, uh, we get these glimpses of God's grandeur, and it causes worship and praise to spring up in our hearts, and we just begin to praise our Father in heaven for his holiness and his glory and his greatness. And then we move into this inner movement of prayer where uh, the Holy Spirit begins doing stuff in our hearts that brings internal transformation and life change that deepens our intimacy with Christ. And I believe that as we experience this outer movement of prayer, uh, it, it's empowered by the upper and inner movement of prayer, right? Because we're worshiping God and we're, um, we're just praising him and then we're surrendering to Christ, when we do that, we're able then to move out towards others through the power of God's spirit. And so it's this complete kind of cycle, right? We go in and out of the upper movement of prayer, the inner movement of prayer, the outer movement of prayer, and it always keeps going. And I believe that as we cooperate with the Lord in these prayer movements, those moments lead us to spiritual maturity uh, in Christ and to effectiveness in ministry. Uh, so today we're going to look at a story in Acts chapter 3, and I just want to warn you, hopefully you have a Bible with you or on your phone or at home. If you've got a Bible nearby, grab it. Our final verse, the key scripture, will be on the screen, um, but I want to give you some backstory. So um, we're going to cover two chapters of the Bible. Are you ready? All right, just I, I thought I'd keep it short and concise, so two chapters of scripture. Here we go. In Acts chapter 3, uh, you've heard this story before. It's a story where we see Peter and John uh, begin to step into what we're calling this outer movement of prayer. Uh, it says in verse 1 of Acts 3, One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. At three in the afternoon, and now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. And Peter looked straight at him, as did John. I'm sure at that point, when they got eye contact, this man's probably expecting he's going to get some money. But, but here's what happens. Peter said to him, silver and gold I don't have. 
But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. And he jumped up to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with him into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So here's Peter and John uh, just simply going to the temple for prayer. And they encounter someone in need. And because they had been with Jesus, because they had a strong internal prayer life already, when they saw this need, they were able to move towards it um, in this outer movement of prayer. And they were able to stretch forth their hands and speak to this guy and see him healed. Not by their own strength and power, but by the power of the Holy Spirit inside them. And people were obviously shocked and amazed to see someone who had been uh, a beggar and crippled for for 40 years uh, sitting by this gate, and then all of a sudden he's leaping and jumping and dancing uh, in the temple. So people are amazed. And then Peter, in the rest of chapter 3, drops an amazing message about God and who he is and Jesus and how he had been crucified and and rose from the dead. Um, And there's this power Powerful message, and many, uh, the Bible tells us, began to believe them. They saw this incredible sign, then they began to believe that Jesus really was who he said he was. And, and watch what happens here at the beginning of Acts 4. In Acts 4 1, it says, The priest, do you guys like the Bible? Is this okay? Okay, good. The priest and the captain of the temple guard uh, and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. And get this, they, this was the religious leaders who came up to them. This was the people who were supposed to be in charge of God's temple. Uh, they didn't understand what was happening. And watch what happens. It says, they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Now, the Sadducees were, were some of these people, and they didn't believe in a resurrection at all. So they were very disturbed by this gospel message that Peter and John were preaching. And so they seized, verse 3 of Acts 4, they seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men and women who believed grew to about 5,000. Okay, so all of a sudden, here's these guys, and, and, and they're disturbing the religious leaders, and the religious leaders take them and put them in jail. How do times, sometimes, you know, when you're doing the right thing, you can still encounter spiritual opposition, right? Uh, and so they're put in jail, and they're held there, and the next day, this chapter goes on, they're trying to figure out what to do with Peter and John, because they have uh, the evidence of this miracle that happened uh, through their ministry, and they couldn't deny it, but they didn't like what was happening, and they couldn't figure out how to shut it down. And so then we read this in Acts 4.8, when they challenge him, uh, it says, then Peter who was, you know, when they're asking, by whose power, whose power did you do this? And then verse 8, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account to show, uh, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, who God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. So even though they had been warned, they had been arrested for preaching about Jesus, they stand up and say, it's this Jesus who you crucified, 
who God raised from the dead that is performing these signs and wonders. That is the first mic drop moment of the early church where Peter and John would just be like, boom, and just walk away because they just laid it right out. And then so here's these leaders again, unsure what to do, but I love this verse, Acts 4.13. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. Now, if you look in the Greek, that word for ordinary is idiotasi. Idiotasi. Anybody guess what English word we get from that? Idiot. So, so basically they're saying, you know, when they, they saw these men were uneducated, they were basically idiots, right? And then it goes on and says, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Even though they were idiots, unschooled, ordinary men. They had a special power. They came not because of their own training and education, but from the power of the Holy Spirit that they had received. And the the religious leaders were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Every time I read that passage, it makes me ask the question, do people look at the way I live my life and take note? Are people able to recognize that I've been with Jesus by the way I live out my faith? That's something that challenges me every time I read this passage. But these men had clearly been with Christ. Um, and so they, they basically continue on trying to debate what do we do with these men. Um, and they can't figure out what to do with them. A few more verses, then we're going to get to our actual verse for today's sermon. All right. In 4, verse 18 to 22, they called them in again, okay? After they had called them in and talked to them, and they said, it's through Jesus, they put them back out, they called them back in, and it says, and when they called them in again, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to listen to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And friends, that's, that's what happens when we have encounters with the living God. When we have an encounter with the God of the universe, when we're walking uh, with Christ, uh, we can't help but talk about the things that we have seen and heard. Verse 21, after further threats, they let them go because they could not decide how to punish them. Because all the people were praising God because of what happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was about 40 years old. Okay, so then what happens is Peter and John are warned to stop speaking of Jesus. They leave, and they go back to their community, and they begin to pray. And you can read the rest of this uh, portion of Scripture here. Uh, You can see their prayer, but I want to bring us just to the very last few verses uh, of their prayer. And this, I believe, sets a great context uh, for this outer movement of prayer that we're talking about. So, We have these verses for you now. Okay, Acts chapter 4, verse 29. This is the scripture that I'm going to preach on. Now, now Lord, they said in their prayer, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. Wow. Okay, so here's, here's their prayer, setting up this outer movement. 
And I want us to kind of break that down a little bit. I see in these uh, three verses of Acts chapter 4, a few uh, mini prayers that set us up for, for the outer movement of prayer. So I want to give you some pre-prayers to pray. Okay, If we're going to step into this, this outer movement of prayer and we're going to intercede for others, we're going to sit with the brokenhearted, we're going to be effective ministers in this world, we're going to make a difference through our presence in people's lives, then there's some pre-prayers that we need to learn how to pray. And these pre-prayers are going to set you up all right, for this outer movement of prayer. Are you ready? All right, we're ready. Here we go. Prayer number one. God, make me bold. You see what the text says, right? It says in uh, verse 29, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. So a pre-prayer that we can pray is, God, make us bold. And I know for some of you, even hearing that makes you nervous, right? You think, well, I'm just not a very bold person. Like, I don't have a bold personality. I'm more quiet and reserved. But I want to tell you something. Boldness is not a personality trait, It's a byproduct of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, that was good. Kelsey, did you hear that? That was good. I'm going to say that again. All right. Boldness is not a personality trait. It is a byproduct of being filled with the Holy Spirit. So you might be the most quiet, shy, reserved person on the planet. But when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you might start to see this boldness coming out of you that surprises even you as you begin to move towards others and begin to share the hope that we have in Christ. Okay? There's a few facts I want to give you, though. I need to give some disclaimers. Okay? If you're going to be bold, there's some things you need to know about boldness. Okay? So here we go. Uh, Six quick things there. Uh, Number one, boldness will always disturb religious systems. You see, Peter and John's boldness disturbed the religious leaders of the day because boldness often challenges the status quo. And when the status quo is challenged, then people sometimes get nervous. So it's okay, just, just know it's okay to make people nervous, right? Boldness sometimes requires that. The other thing you need to know about boldness is it will bring spiritual opposition into your life. If you begin to boldly uh, pray for others and pray with others, the enemy of our souls doesn't like that. You see what happened to Peter and John when they boldly uh, prayed for the, the man who was crippled. They were brought into prison not once, but twice, right, on account of their boldness. Uh, Another thing that I believe is that boldness releases the miracles of God. Boldness releases the miracles of God. It's not to say that God's not going to do whatever he wants. Of course he is. But I believe sometimes bold prayers honor God. And I believe that God honors bold prayers. So sometimes we need to say some bold prayers and just believe that we're stepping out of faith and we're believing God to do something uh, in our lives. I think one of the greatest tragedies in our faith are the prayers that go unanswered simply because they go unasked. God, make us bold. Boldness will always require faith. Always. You've got to to be bold. You've got to step into faith. And the other thing I love about boldness is it it creates inside of us what I call a sanctified stubbornness streak. Right? It makes you spiritually stubborn. 
<laughs> it makes you to where when, when people come against you and there's opposition, it doesn't dissuade you because you're convinced in your mind. You're stubborn about what God has called you to do, and you don't let that opposition sway you. It's a spiritual stubbornness. You see, if you read on in Acts chapter 5, that uh, even though they're told not to speak in Jesus' name, Peter and John go out and keep preaching in Jesus' name. They're arrested again later and end up in prison, and then overnight uh, they get out of prison, an angel opens the door, and they go straight back to the temple square to keep preaching, exactly where they were when they got in trouble in the first place. That's what you call a sanctified stubbornness streak. And may God give us that in boldness as well. And the last thing I want to mention about boldness is boldness requires the willingness to look foolish. How many of you know we, we're not really going to be able to build God's reputation if we're constantly concerned about our own? We've got to be willing to look foolish. We've got to know that sometimes when you're doing something bold, you're going to look like an idiotasi, all right, to use a Greek term. But that's okay. And the work of his spirit is absolutely essential in these moments if we're going to move into this outer expression of prayer uh, where we heal the sick, where we suffer with the broken, where we intercede for the world. We cannot do those things well in our own strength. It requires the strength in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So prayer number one, everyone say, God make us bold. All right. Prayer number two gets more dangerous. God fill us with the Holy Spirit. God fill us with the Holy Spirit. And here's what you might be thinking. Why would you pray that we already have the Holy Spirit? Right? When, we, when we give our hearts and lives to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live and dwell inside of us. Everyone who is a follower of Jesus has received his spirit. 1 Corinthians 6-7 says, He who joins himself, sorry, 6-17, He who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. So yes, if you're following Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. But I believe there's more. There's something that we see in Scripture that's a, a continual filling of the Holy Spirit. In addition to having received the Spirit inside of us, there's this continual filling. In fact, uh, someone once asked the, the preacher D.L. Moody, Why do you constantly encourage people to continually be filled with the Holy Spirit when they already have it. And his answer, probably many of you have heard before, well, I ask to be filled because I leak. And it's so true in this world, we are going to leak, and so we need to keep being filled with his Spirit. What we see in this passage of Scripture we've looked at are Peter and John, who are clearly followers of Jesus. Peter and John, who received the initial outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Uh, they too were here. We see it right here in this passage. I said, after they prayed, Peter and John, who were already filled with the Holy Spirit, had already received the Holy Spirit, um, after they prayed, where they, was meet, where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So again, we need to constantly be filled with the Holy Spirit. I believe if we're going to turn the world upside down, then I love this, this text. The place where they were meeting was shaken. I believe sometimes you and I need to be shaken. Because out of that experience of shakenness comes boldness. And so we need to allow the Holy Spirit to shake us. And I don't mean you know, what you might have seen on TV where people kind of receive the Holy Spirit and they, they physically shake for days. If that happens to you, great. But what I'm talking about is the shakenness of your heart and your spirit. Where all of a sudden the Holy Spirit begins to mess with the way you've been living your life and the status quo is no longer good enough. 
and you decide that you're going to move forward uh, in faith and ask the Holy Spirit um, to, to minister to you and through you. All right, so prayer number one, God, make me bold. Prayer number two, fill me with the Holy Spirit. And only when we pray these two, God, make me bold and fill me with the Holy Spirit, do we have the spiritual courage to pray what comes next. And that is God, do the impossible. God, do the impossible. You see, for this crippled beggar who was sitting by the gate, uh, had been there for 40 years, uh, him being healed was, was not within the realm of feasibility, right? That's just not something that happens uh, except when God shows up. Who knows what's going to happen? And so I wonder if we can get to a place where we have the boldness and the spiritual courage to ask God to intervene in the circumstances around us and to do impossible things. Now, I know some of you might be thinking when it comes to bold prayers for miracles, we'll just leave that to those crazy fanatics in the charismatic movement. Um, You know, sometimes we prefer a little bit more of a respectable faith, a little bit more intellectual, right? But how many of us know that that you you can be respectable in the eyes of your peers or you can be responsive to the move of the Spirit, but most likely you're not going to be able to do both, right? Because boldness requires a, fo- a willingness to look foolish, a willingness to step out and to trust God. You know, I just came back from uh, my nephew passed away this week. He uh, had muscular dystrophy. Uh, from the age of three, he was diagnosed with, with MD, and, and doctors had given him the life expectancy of 18 to 21. Uh, he was 22 years old and had gone into the hospital with respiratory failure. And as I heard the news, I knew that the inevitable was he, he's probably not going to make it. Um, but I tried to summon the little bit of faith I had to pray for a total miracle to pray for him to be healed, not just of his respiratory failure, but of muscular dystrophy as a whole. Uh, And here's what I learned. I I don't think there's a documented case that I've been able to come across of anyone ever being healed for muscular dystrophy. But why not ask God? You know, who knows what what God might do? And so boldly, I'm going to ask God, and I'll be honest, uh, you could say to me, well, you probably don't have enough faith, and I would agree with you. (laughs) That's probably true. I I did not feel a lot of faith that it was going to happen. But aren't you glad that God's movement in this world isn't based on your ability to conjure up some feeling? Right? It's based on our trust in his faithfulness. It's based on our trust in his sovereignty. And we don't, the bottom line is we don't know if God's going to heal somebody when we ask him to. But that's not the point. The point is that God asks us to pray and to believe and to be bold and to be courageous and to trust him with the results. No matter what happens, God is on the throne. He's in charge. But our part in the here and now is to be bold and courageous, to be full of the Holy Spirit, and to seek to see him do some amazing things in our days. But if you're like me, you've, you've had your own share of unanswered prayers. And sometimes those unanswered prayers can make us feel a little bit jaded. You know, we're, we're disappointed because God didn't do what we hoped he was going to do last time we asked. So we feel like we have a little less faith to ask this time. A little less belief that what we're asking, you know, might happen. And so what happens is we begin to play it safe in our prayers. Because of our jadedness, because of our disillusionment, because of our disappointment, we start praying safe prayers. But I don't think safe prayers honor God. I think big, bold, audacious prayers honors God. In fact, I once heard a pastor say, if your prayers aren't intimidating to you, they might be insulting to God. I love that thought. It inspires me to pray big, courageous prayers. I love what Richard Foster said uh, in his book on prayer. He said, 
in my concern of falling off the deep end. Anyone ever felt that? You're a little afraid that, you know, if I go too far with this, you know, seeing God do miracles thing, I'm going to become one of those religious wackos. Anybody ever think that? No, it's just, okay, just me. In my concern of falling off the deep end, I realized that I might just fall off the shallow end. My desire to maintain religious respectability could easily result in a domesticated faith. And I knew that I dare not let this happen. I must be willing to step out even when the waters look deep. And I love that when I read that uh, a few weeks ago in my study, I was hit by that. Because sometimes I find myself afraid I'm going to fall off the deep end. But you know what? I'd rather fall off the deep end than the shallow end when it comes to faith. You know, I believe one of the primary uh, uh, litmus tests for spiritual maturity is simply this. Are your prayers getting bigger and bolder or smaller and safer? I think when we're growing in our faith in God and our confidence in our walk with him, then our prayers should be getting bigger and bolder as we go, not smaller and safer. So let's not play it safe in our prayers. Let's not play it safe in our faith. And I believe there's a critical belief that we have to embrace. Uh, In Romans 8.31, Paul simply said this, If God is for me, then who can be against me? And for us to really have this kind of spiritual courage I'm talking about that will enable us to really move into this this final expression of the outward movement of prayer, we've got to be really convinced that God is for us, that God is actually for us, and he's for the people we encounter. He's for the people we meet. If we don't believe that God is for us, we'll pray small, timid, safe prayers. But when we understand that God is for us, then we'll pray big, bold, audacious prayers. And we'll leave the results to God. Because the prayer is our responsibility. The results are God's department. Right? Does that make sense? So we step out. So I want us just to put this all together. God, make me bold. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. And come and do the impossible. And I have a very simple challenge for you this week. I simply want to challenge you every day for the next seven days. If you're crazy enough to do this, just pray and say, God... Make me bold and fill me with the Holy Spirit today. Before your feet hit the floor, God, make me bold and fill me with the Holy Spirit. God, make me bold and fill me with the Holy Spirit. Because when you start to pray those prayers, then when you encounter a need, whether you're bumping into someone in the supermarket and you found out they just had a bad medical diagnosis, you chat with them, you have the courage to say, can I pray for you right now, right here in the ice cream aisle? Can I pray for you? Or you're on a work trip and you're sitting next to a gentleman who shares that he's had family problems uh, the last few months and his son is really wayward and you just summon the curse, say, would it be okay if I pray for your son? What if we started asking people if we could pray for them? It's a simple step. But when we're praying, God, make me bold and fill me with the Holy Spirit, you'll find that it becomes easier and easier to do that, even if you're not a very outgoing personality. Because again, boldness It's not a personality trait. It's the byproduct of being filled with the Holy Spirit. So, Father, I pray for us in this room. Desperately, God, I ask you that you would come and make us bold. I ask, Lord, that you would come and fill us with the Holy Spirit. And, Lord, I pray that as we are filled with your Spirit and walking in boldness and courage, that we would have the faith and the confidence and the willingness to ask you to come and do the impossible. 
to intervene in our broken relationships, to heal those who are sick around us, to make our hearts whole. Lord, give us the courage to be bold. In Jesus' name, amen.